0: When I am interviewing people and when I'm sharing their stories and when I'm doing these news stories, I'm always kind of struck by the weight of carrying someone's own story out into the world in a way that could help them find a larger platform or these people that connect with them. I don't think I ever experienced the impact of that until I started posting about my own stories and people were responding that they connected. And I, I think I was pushing so hard to do this for other people because I was, I was kind of striving for it myself, but I didn't know how to do that. Hello and
1: welcome to the Women and ADHD podcast. I'm your host, Katie Weber. The following is a review from Sasha85555 on Apple Podcasts. It's entitled Amazing. This podcast made me feel so validated. I was diagnosed with ADHD at 25 after genuinely thinking I had early onset Alzheimer's. I can't remember which episode of this, but someone else had made the same exact statement and I had goosebumps. Although I was diagnosed a little under two years ago until listening to this podcast, I was almost convinced it wasn't ADHD, that it was bipolar. This is the first time I've found a podcast I have just binge listened to. Any woman struggling with ADHD, feeling alone, confused about your diagnosis, please listen to this. I just feel like my life makes sense now and that I'm not crazy or lazy. Thank you so much for sharing this, Sasha. I am so glad you found these interviews and the experiences of these other amazing women are helping you understand your own experience and diagnosis. This is why I started this podcast. It's been helping me so much and I love knowing it's been helping others as well. If you've been listening to this podcast and feel the same way as Sasha, please help me out by leaving a review on the Apple Podcast platform or on Audible. I love the feedback and knowing that these episodes are helping you guys and your reviews help this podcast get found by other women who might be recently diagnosed or even wondering if they have ADHD and they need to hear these interviews and know that they're not alone. Okay, this is episode 46 in which I interview Emily Olson. Emily is a digital broadcast journalist for Global News in Saskatchewan. She has spent a lot of her career connecting with people and facilitating others to share their stories. And now she's finally settling into the task of telling her own. We talk about her ADHD diagnosis in her early 20s, during her time in an eating disorder recovery program. And we also talk shop about journalism and how it can be such an ideal career in so many ways for those of us with ADHD. We also talk about the emotional toll journalism can take, especially when you are sharing intense stories and also receiving negative feedback and criticism and how each of us has dealt with just all of the overwhelming feelings in general, especially in the last couple years. Let's jump right in. Enjoy. So I was so excited when you reached out to me. I was, I mean, first of all, I love A, you're Canadian, B, you're a journalist. So already that's like two points for you. Uh, (laughs) But I really feel like very strongly about how, not strongly, I guess it was just really interesting to me when I was diagnosed. How much the fact that I was a journalist made sense to me, you know, like why I love deadlines. And so I just, I really loved uh, your perspective and I really, I can't wait to talk about that. Um, <laughs> but f- I guess, first of all, you were diagnosed a few years ago, right? So,
0: yes, um, I wasn't diagnosed until I was uh, 21 years old, um, which was quite a ways down the line for me, for someone who definitely struggled all the way through school.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, 21 feels like a baby to me. I was 45. So, uh, but yeah, talk to me about like, when were you in university or like what, when, what led up to the diagnosis and kind of what were some of the signs that made you think you had it and talk me through how you got your diagnosis in the first place.
0: Yeah, it's a little bit heavy, but I think that that's what this is for. Um, So I struggled with eating disorders from the time that I was 11 years old, which seems very young right now when I'm thinking about it. But from the time that I was 11 uh, until I was about 21, when I was actually in a program at a university hospital um, to deal with it. And I was set up with an A team. I had a nutritionist and a psychologist and a psychiatrist and, and all these people kind of gathered around me to help me through it. And I will never forget the psychiatrist he was such a special person he was really good at getting to the root of what was going on not all the extraneous stuff and if I came to him with a question he always seemed to have some good answers or some good ways to bounce that off of me further so I am a big research person as a lot of us with ADHD are I spend a lot of time researching what I'm experiencing and things I'm curious about Um, and so I realized that I've been struggling with um, depression and anxiety and of course this eating disorder for for quite some time and I was like what could be Causing this because clearly what we're doing right now isn't fully responding to what I'm dealing with. Uh, And that's when I realized how likely it is for women who have ADHD to struggle with depression, to struggle with anxiety, and especially to struggle with eating disorders. And it often will be misdiagnosed because a lot of us are, and I hate to use these terms, but more well-behaved with it. We internalize it instead of externalizing it. And I was very much an internalizer. Now people meet me and they're like, you're so outgoing. Because I was so internalized with everything as a kid that they almost don't recognize me now because I'm so much more myself and so much more confident with everything. Um, But I really had been internalizing for a very long time. And he said, yes, let's pursue this. Um, We'll get you tested. We'll put you on some medication. We'll see how that goes for you. And it was a light bulb moment for me. It was, unbelievable the fact that this all accumulated into something that made so much sense for me all the times that I'd struggled focusing in school struggle focusing in conversations that I actually wanted to be part of <laughs> and, and and the organization factor all of it it all made so much sense and it was it, it was as much a relief as it was a frustration because of course then it's something that you have a label to so you're obligated to respond to it but I felt like I was more prepared to advocate for myself and it was it was huge. And it actually dictated the way that I went through the rest of my career.
1: When you were kind of handed that prescription, was there other sort of follow-up? Because I know, yeah, I have this conversation a lot with my guests about the idea that like really just getting the diagnosis is half the treatment, right? And like that idea of like, oh my God, okay, this is an explanation. And, and, that's what we do. We love explanations and we love, you know, we are such a puzzle to ourselves. And so it makes sense to me that the diagnosis is such a big deal in terms of make, you know, feeling better and our self-worth and our self-esteem yeah. and all of that. But oftentimes, you know, I I feel like I keep hearing that sense of uh, or I keep hearing that same story of like the doctor gave me medication and that's it. And that's exactly what happened to me too, you know, and, and granted I did my own research and I did hyper-focus and I did all this stuff and I started this podcast and everything else. Like that was my way of learning about ADHD, but, and myself and, and have learned so much, but like, did you have, after going through, you know, all of this kind of trauma and, and needing the help and needing that therapy, like how did that pivot once you had the diagnosis?
0: you know, you're right on that. I actually didn't get the, I think the full scope of support that I could slash should have at the time. Um, But I was just grateful to have any shred of understanding of what i had been going through, because I had felt like I was in a spiral for so long. So it's been me slowly, slowly building, like you mentioned, more understanding through connections with people through research of my own, um, through talking with different therapists over the years. And I, I realized that ADHD, especially for, for grown women, is a very different beast. The way we handle it is so different. The way we respond to it is so different. Um, the way it, and I hesitate to say it this way, but the way that it dictates our lives is, is quite different from perhaps other people. And I, uh, I think that it's it's a growing, shifting thing that we're all discovering together at this point. I'm not convinced that there's the amount of support and literature that we would need on it to say, OK, here's the book on it. Learn away. I think that this is something that is changing and shifting and growing. And I think that the fact that we're all getting invested in one another's changes and growth and and kind of exploring through this podcast, through these online platforms. I think that's the way that we're all navigating this right now, because I just don't know if there is the full scope of support that we actually do need, whether that's kind of a better understanding of this specific demographic, dealing with it. You know, I I love that this is something that we've created a community around. I would hope that there would be better supports in place in the future, but I don't know if, historically speaking, we're at that Point with this. I did disability support work for quite a while when I was in university and even for parents who are navigating have a chi- having a child with a, a developmental disability there wasn't always the full like Here are the rules here's what you do. Um, a lot of the time it was based around networking with other people and figuring out where you fit in as a family and figuring out where you fit in as a person and and who kind of helps you find that structure and that balance and and the right recipe to, to help you feel
1: successful yeah and it feels like so once you get into adulthood with adhd as a woman so much so many of our symptoms are the result of the trauma of not having a diagnosis than they are the actual yeah. adhd and so that's yeah. also the yeah. other thing to untangle for sure yeah we really are like just living breathing experiments at this point <laughs>
0: Well, and I, I feel like it makes a lot of us rock stars in our own respective fields. I feel like we shine so brightly because we're pushing so hard for all these things that we know we deserve that are harder for us to access. That being said, it does balance out with a lot of really um, rainy days. And mentally for a lot of us too so I think finding that that was where we all are struggling right now
1: right and yeah it's been really fascinating to me to sort of explore the concept of imposter syndrome among the ADHD community because it's one yeah like you know as soon as I say the word imposter syndrome you're like nodding eyes wide like you know we all relate to that so deeply in in any of our chosen careers um because of that, like that dichotomy between being very bright and being super high achieving, and yet also feeling so, you know, having the worst self-esteem and and just feeling mm. so like our expectations are so out of line with our mm-hmm. performance. And, and I think that's uh, seems to be like a universal struggle with all of us.
0: It's very difficult. I have days where I'm like, why are people trusting me with their stories? Why are people trusting me to to handle their their really sometimes deeply personal stories with care and how do they know that I'm the right person like I know in my heart that I care about people and that I care about telling stories ethically and properly and fully and and kind of handing them the reins but they don't know that meeting me and why would anybody trust me in this position like do I have the vibe of professionalism I can be a bit scattered because of who I am as a person and because of my ADHD and does that make me, seem, make me seem less reliable? And these are all the things that get up in my head that I think we all struggle with to some extent. Mm-hmm. It's like I'll like overdo my like professionalism uh, sometimes just to make people kind of believe that I, that I am who I am. Yeah. I, I mean our credibility is challenged more these days than it ever has been. I feel like less safe on the job than I ever have. There's a lot more hostility towards what I do in a day because I think people don't understand what it is we do anymore (laughs) to some extent. um, I I work really hard to kind of maintain a level of credibility because of that and because I want, you know, people to know that they can trust me. (laughs) And and you do get in your head about not being good enough, no matter what it is you're doing. Um, But I think caring enough about other people and caring enough about the quality of work that you do means you are, you know, a valid candidate to be in the position you're in. It's just hard to remember that someday. Mm-hmm.
1: So um, just to backtrack a little bit, I want to find out because you mentioned you struggled in school. And so I wanted to talk about that because I certainly struggled in school. And it has affected me my whole life in terms of just how I view myself as an intellect, you know, and and especially struggling with grades and university and, Um, and, and one of the things that has been so revolutionary for me since this diagnosis was realizing like, oh yeah, there are other ways that we learn, you know? And, and so for me interviewing and being a journalist was, it was just like, i never really gave it the, the respect it deserved (laughs) in terms of like how that was how I learned, you know, like that's why I loved it. That's how I learned about life and the world. And I was really good at it. And, and so for me to be able to now reframe, A lot of the like ways in which I was a smart woman and never was willing to give myself that credit because I performed so poorly in school has just been has done amazing things for my self-esteem. So I'm curious, like when you say you struggle in school, what exactly did that mean? And then and then how did you get involved in journalism in the first place?
0: Yeah, I I started out as a quote unquote gifted child, so I was getting those straight A's in elementary school. I, upon reflection, I did have a ton of support from my parents and teachers, partnering up to create get it done charts that some people have. I didn't realize that it was connected to me struggling and them recognizing that though. Um, When I got into junior high and high school, things got really intense because I no longer had those supports. Um, Math just fell through the floor. Like things were really, I was never someone who could really process that sort of information very well. Um, And I thought that it was just because I wasn't trying hard enough or whatever it was. (laughs) And even in university, there were things where I was like, oh my God why is it that I can fly through some courses and some of them feel like I'm trudging through mud every day (laughs) it's just that that selective thing that a lot of us have where what we're interested in is what we go balls to the wall for and what we're not interested in is like brain surgery to get through um and so I I did struggle um in sort of an asymmetrical way all the way through school where some classes I was Arriving in and getting incredible marks, and then other grades, I was just struggling to get through the day. In. <laughs> and so, getting into this field, it was it was a light bulb moment for me. I uh, I started out taking night classes with a student I was supporting. I was doing disability support work, uh, and one of the students I was working with took night classes for broadcast for radio and for TV, and I shadowed with him. And as I was going through, I was like. Oh, I, I think I'm good at this. I think I like this. I think this is sparking something in me. And so when I had a next kind of pivotal moment to take a look at what I wanted out of my life, I thought, what was the thing that made me feel the most sparked and the most um, fulfilled? in a day. And it was definitely this. And I just pursued it and I went hard for it in a way that only we can. (laughs) And I, I just, I care about it so much. And it is so gratifying because it is one of those industries, as you mentioned, where your deadline is in one day. It's your deadline is very short. So I'm not left lingering with that three day work session. It's like, I get it done. I go hard for it and then it is done and I can go home knowing there's nothing like I can put it all down which is a gift for me because my brain's just not wired to process all of that extra oh it could go for four days oh it could go for three months like I'm I'm just not as confident with those longer timelines because you don't know when you're going to have a bad day or when the interest could fall off
1: Yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. That was one of the things I loved about working at a newspaper was that, you know, you were always on deadline and then you could leave it all behind and you would go home and there was nothing lingering and you just started fresh the next day. Yeah, it was great. And, and, but yeah, because like you said, if you had a week to do something, you would still do it the last minute because that's kind of how we, we would, you know, that's just self-imposed pressure. So it was nice to have the, the, pressure like built in to the system.
0: Yeah. And I, and I don't know if this is common, but I've seen it on a few um, kind of ADHD forums where people do better when there are people relying on them. Mm -hmm. And so for me, having a team of other journalists and producers that are relying on me to get my stuff in and have it be good and have it be complete, that to me is such good incentive because these are all people that I respect that have worked really hard to be where they are as well, that I, that I want to succeed for and with and that feels good as well Um, but I also think like there's something about the the tv journalism thing that has changed so much over the years that really excites me Um, reporters aren't just reporters anymore I mean you might know this already but reporters also shoot their own stuff edit their own stuff do their own web articles do their own radio hits like we are I like to say like the Swiss army knives of news now because we do everything we have our hand in every pot the story beginning to end a lot of the time is our baby that no one else really even touches except for vetting it and looking over it and making sure the details are good. Mm-hmm. And that there's something that feels really successful to me about being someone who's interested in so many different things. It satisfies the nerd in me and like the, the drama nerd in me and the tech nerd in me and the writing nerd in me. And um, I love that it all comes together in such a, a full way at the end of the day. Um, and when I have a good day where I've, where I've connected with people and been able to tell their story and been able to do it completely myself, I get this sense of, like, I'm capable and I am smart and I can do these things, even though I had teachers or friends or coaches or boyfriends who previously said that I was too scatterbrained to accomplish certain things. It's really nice to be able to, like, buckle down and get it done and know that it was me.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. We do excel when we're holding a lot of plates. (laughs) (laughs) I loved working at really small newspapers where you had to do everything. Like you said, like when I worked at small newspapers, you were the writer, you were the right, you're in headlines, you had to edit, you did the page layout, you did everything. And so like, I loved whenever I worked at small papers because you had to do everything and it was always exciting, but you didn't get paid anything. And so like, I remember, (laughs) you know, as I was like moving on in my newspaper career and like, i at the like apex of my career. I was working at the Wall Street Journal and it was great. I mean, I felt like this is great. I love working here, but my job was like to do one page, as an art director. And I was, it was like the most boring job I've ever had in my life because they have yeah. so many staff and it makes sense. You know, they're credible. Yeah. They have to have people who are really, really good at one thing. But like now looking back, I'm like, my ADHD was so miserable because all I had to do was this one thing every day, all day. And I hated it. Yeah. And so I ended up leaving and going back to a much smaller startup newspaper because then you could like have your, you know, I could have my fingers in so many different jars. So
0: got that is such a good point that is such a good point I even reflect on when I was doing I was doing an internship at a news station out on the west coast and they had me like helping out with little web stories and sometimes they let me do a full story myself for air but I never was feeling busy enough so I started it. I got, you know, dangerous levels of bored. And I started venturing upstairs to the radio station and asking them what I could do. And so at some point, I ended up being a reporter and an anchor for the radio station upstairs and a reporter and a web journalist for the TV station downstairs. And I was finally like, oh, this is my sweet spot. I don't know if I'll ever find it again. (laughs) And, And
1: it's true. Like, I never feel like I'm I never felt like an adult
0: when no. I was working. Does anyone feel like an adult? Well, I'm you sure know, to wonder.
1: that's one of those things that I've heard a lot in the ADHD community, which is like, we don't feel like we're adults and we feel much younger than usual. And I'm like, I definitely relate to that. I've never felt like an adult, but I always just assumed that nobody felt like an adult. Like, you know, yeah. uh, why would you? <sighs>
0: <laughs> There's so much more fun to be had. right? <laughs> Yeah, I sort of have been going, I've been operating with the idea that like all the politicians I talk to maybe are children inside as well. And that makes me feel more confident talking to them. But, you know, who's to say that some of them don't feel like adults and it's just me being a child inside while I'm talking to them, trying to seem credible, holding on to every shred of professionalism I have for those brief moments (laughs) so I can really get my point across.
1: This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know I am very open about my own experiences with therapy. I've been seeing the same therapist for years, and it was my therapist who first suggested I had ADHD and set me on this personal path of transformation. But it also took a while to find the right fit for me, which is why it is so awesome that online resources like BetterHelp exist. BetterHelp is not a crisis line. It is not self-help. It is professional counseling done securely online from the comfort of your home. And it's available for clients worldwide. So you get access to a broad range of expertise, which might not be available locally. If you visit their website and read through their testimonials, there are actually quite a few reviews that specifically reference help with ADHD. As a special offer for listeners of the Women and ADHD podcast, you'll get 10% off of your first month simply sign up at betterhelp.com/womenadhd slash that's betterhelp h e l p.com/womenadhd there was an article that came out that was went viral her name was Olivia Messer she wrote about covid and like the the trauma of being a journalist during covid and my husband is i'm not work i'm not working for any journalism uh, i'm not working for any newspapers or any news outlets right now i'm just podcasting um but my husband still works in journalism and so this mm-hmm. year has has been incredibly taxing because yeah. he's exposing himself to this just the constant influx of information has just the information overload has been
0: yeah.
1: insane and, and it got me thinking, because you when you wrote to me, you had talked about the fact that it's like the amount of negative feedback that journalists get every day and how your ADHD has kind of impacted, I don't know, positively or negatively, I want to find out. But it's made me think like, we feel things really deeply. And... Like this past year, I feel like has been, I don't think a day has gone by where I haven't at some point just shouted, I fucking hate everybody. You know, <laughs> like yeah, like it's it's yeah. I just feel like with with Black Lives Matter and and the attacks yes. on the AAPI community, and then you've got like all of the stuff with Trump and the anti vaxxer, like it just this year was so much, and I'm still feeling like I don't know how to deal with the fact that I feel so much. And that used to be alcohol. That was how I dealt with it. I don't, I'm sober now. And so that's another thing I've been dealing with, with. Congratulations. Since oh, thank you. Um, but you know, like since my diagnosis, I've sort of been realizing like how much I used substance abuse and how yeah. substance abuse is, a, is something that a lot of us deal with. And yeah. it's almost like you were saying before with, with an eating disorder, like just the ways in which we try to like control numb, you know, like we are, we have a tendency to kind of self, Medicate yeah. in extreme ways mm-hmm. so that uh, anyway back to my original question which was like i want to talk about this past year as a journalist and like what have you noticed what are some insights you've had about adhd and dealing with like the heaviness of yeah. of life <laughs> Yeah. And that's (laughs) because I would, I mean, that's a huge ask. So, you know.
0: I'm all in. I'm all in. I think that there's only, if there's one thing I've taken from this year, it's that there's only benefit to sharing the dark parts of your journey because inevitably there are at least several people that are experiencing it that feel extremely alone. So I have just really worked to try to share as much as I can, as openly as I can with people because I think that it is such a gift to be able to give other people to know that they have. Their experiences reflected in other people. Even reading that article made me feel so validated because I was, I was feeling very alone. A lot of journalists are working from home right now, which is a different experience for all of us. We don't get to interview people in person as often. It feels very isolated, um, and uh, and it has. It's been very diff- It's been a difficult year for all of us. Um, and I and I would say that those of us on the front lines of the information are. Filtering it for everyone else, and we're trying to make sure that it is not uh, overwhelming, but at the same time is continually coming out in a in an informative way. And I'm trying to figure out how to structure all the things that I've experienced in the last year. I started journalism before the pandemic hit, <laughs> thankfully, so I did have that taste of of what it is like without all of these pressures and all of these restrictions. But it was hard to hold on to that feeling for the course of the last year and a half. Um, it's it's been a lot processed, it's been a lot of information there are definitely times um, several times where I've called mental health crisis lines just to cry it out when I felt like I didn't have anywhere else to talk it out because everyone was experiencing that same trauma and I didn't feel safe unloading it on my family I didn't feel safe unloading it on my coworkers who were in it with me, I didn't feel safe unloading it on friends who were having their own difficulties as, as healthcare workers or teachers or whoever they were um, and so I really benefited from mental health crisis lines and I would talk to them about how much I cared about my job, how much my job had changed, how scared I felt with the the threats that we would get on the phone, the threats I'd get in the street when I was alone with my camera, um, the information, how overwhelming that felt, um, to, to, bear the burden of and to bear the burden of communicating effectively and, and worrying that if you communicated it wrong or you communicated it in a way that, that seemed disingenuous, that more people would jump on the COVID is fake train or, or more people could misunderstand and mm-hmm. tend or die and feeling like that's on your plate a little bit or a lot, a lot yeah. of the time. Um, you're also tasked with telling stories about people who are struggling parallel to COVID. All the stories we've covered, whether they're about COVID or not, have COVID as an element and you can't ever release it from what you're talking about, unfortunately. And that weighs on you as well. People would come to me and say, oh my gosh, the media won't stop talking about COVID. All we hear is COVID, COVID, COVID. And I'm like, believe me, I would love to stop talking about COVID. If I can wake up tomorrow and never say the word COVID 19 (laughs) again, I absolutely would. I am just as sick as everyone else about about talking about it and thinking about it and worrying about it and processing new information about it. But it is It's ongoing. It's still happening. And it is, like it or not, my job to communicate what's happening. And unfortunately, a lot of that information isn't going to make anybody happy, (laughs) including me. Um, But I just, I have had kind of reminders, whether it was talking on a crisis line, talking to a therapist, sometimes talking to a friend, that I'm in this job for a reason. The, The fact that I care this much, the fact that it is hitting me this way, uh, is a good sign for the amount that I care about what I'm doing. Um, and it is a sign that I'm probably in the right position. Whether I need to take a pause or not is another question. But any time I was doubting whether I could handle the strength of, of, of the waves of negative uh, information and negative feedback, I, I just was gently reminded that I am in the right position. It's just about learning to take those pictures. which none of us with ADHD are good at. Mm. I actually did take a break last summer. I ended up on a stress leave, <laughs> full disclosure, for a month. Um, and it was like the ultimate reset for me. I, it was such a gift that I was with a company that could grant me one. I wouldn't have, I don't think I would have made it um, to where I am now if I hadn't had that break. And I would encourage anyone who's in a position to, to ask for a, a pause for their mental health to, to do that. Talk to a medical professional Take their notes to your employer and see what can happen because it's it is surprising when you feel like it's all on your shoulders. Oftentimes, it isn't completely
1: the, the culture around sick days. At least when I was in my twenties, did was non-existent. I mean you you went to work, especially in journalism, you went to work no matter what. There was no there was no sense of like if mm-hmm. you were sick, you you know if you you had to be dying to take a sick (laughs) day and mental health days were like not even a thing. So, um, yeah, I feel like I was speaking to a guest ages ago, um, Brie Plyler. And I always think about her saying that we're in the middle of a mental health revolution. And Mm -hmm. I really like, I feel like we are, even though it took a pandemic, (laughs) um, you know, I think that that has been something that we have collectively learned over this past year, which is the Mm -hmm. importance of, reaching out and, and just unloading, you know, talk it out (laughs) and how, you know, there is so much healing in, in therapy and, and speaking about what you're going through and realizing that it's not just in your head and that you're not Mm -hmm. alone. And Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, like giving, it's so great that you did work for a company that allowed you to do that because I feel like that culture does not exist generally in most workplaces like no if you take a mental health day you're basically like so you know looked at as faking or you know yeah. it's like you're one step from being fired how dare
0: you yeah it's like an admission of i can't handle this which is every journalist's worst fear <laughs> mm, <laughs> You don't want
1: to yeah. be
0: viewed as you know incompetent and and mental health almost makes you seem incompetent especially in such a social job yeah right? You know, I, I I think you're absolutely on the nail with that, um, with all of us taking better care of our mental health or even just paying better attention to what resources are available to us and feeling less guilty about accessing them because the, there's a lot of resources that have been around for a long time that I would never have thought to have reached out to. I would have never thought that it would apply to me. You hear crisis and you think, well, I don't know if this is a crisis, but then you know, when you get into a space where you're like, I don't have any other options, then you start to recognize what these services are actually for, and that they can apply to you. Mm-hmm. And that is such a it's such a gift if you can pick the two cents from other people and and take the two minutes to just let it all out in a place that feels safe. I mean, that's that's huge. Yeah, that's huge.
1: And not only that, but like do it before you get to the part where you're in crisis mode. Like, you know, make a habit of doing it. Don't get to the point where you're like, I have no other options. You know, like, I feel like that's the other thing we really need to look at therapy as, as, as something that is ongoing and not something for you to wait wait until you're broken to, to seek, you know, like that, that it's, it's just as important as, you know, haircuts and massages, like this is about upkeep, not not getting to a point where you're so desperate that you have to seek help. You know, seeking help yeah. is something that should be completely normalized. Yeah. And that's something I you know, and I'm saying that because that is another real change in me since my diagnosis was allowing myself to ask for help in all areas, because I so like, I used to think that asking for help was such a deficit. And it's yes. like, It's not. But I think, I think the fact that we grow up like feeling like we're, we are doing something wrong all the time, or we don't know, like, you know, there's so so many interesting nuances to growing up undiagnosed and sort of feeling like you're masking and feeling like you're faking and feeling like you don't belong in the room and like all of these ways in which we you know, like if somebody says, a, I always laugh at this, cause this is so ADHD. If somebody says <laughs> a term that you've never heard of, you know, you're like, I'm talking along and then I'm like, oh yeah. And then we also do this thing with BPS and, you know, and, and in your head, you're like, I'm not going to ask what BPS is because that's going to make me look stupid. No. So I'm gonna remember that. And I'm going to have to Google it later. And, like we totally do that all the time. Yeah. Right. Which is like, we would <laughs> never admit you'd never stop somebody mid-sentence and be like, what's BPS? <laughs> um because that you know we're so paranoid about seeming less
0: incompetent right
1: incompetent yeah oh
0: my gosh this is so enlightening to hear and i mean i am already a big researcher but inevitably you start googling it and it takes you on a wormhole of a bunch of other things that maybe (laughs) didn't even think about and then you start introducing them in conversations with other people and they don't think to ask and then they do their research
1: Right, yeah
0: oh and I wanted to kind of wind back a little, and you mentioned masking. This is something that I've only been exploring in the last couple of years. I had no idea that I was masking this mm-hmm. whole time because I remember I have like distinct memories of being told to stop fidgeting by various people as a children, as a children, as a child. <laughs> I remember being told to stop or stop fidgeting or or sit still or you know any number of things and i just sort of assumed that that was a universal experience for people um but there's things that i do now that i recognize i'm like oh it comes out in different ways now like i'll twitch in subtle ways so it doesn't upset anybody but i still need to do it and i do it and and there's just like little things that i never thought were part of the diagnosis that I've only started really discovering recently. And masking is a huge one, masking socially, masking physically. um, And it's, uh, it's been very enlightening. To know that I'm not the only one. And there's times when I, if I'm on camera, I have to be so careful because if I'm feeling a little overwhelmed, my face will just be blinking uncontrollably. And it looks a little crazy on camera. So I usually have to take a, a pause, breathe myself through it and then start again. But that's something I mean, I just kind of assumed everyone had nerves like that and they came out that way and I, I didn't even think about it.
1: I wanted to let you know about the brand new women and ADHD online community. So two things I hear time and time again from listeners of this podcast is a wow. I feel so much less alone. That's why I've started this free online community, because I believe finding our people is an integral part of treating our ADHD. So head over to women and ADHD.com to join. It's totally free. And you also have the option at any time to upgrade. And that'll give you all sorts of exclusive content like early access to this podcast, a free copy of my audiobook, Worth It, A Journey to Food and Body Freedom, as well as twice monthly live member hangouts on Zoom with me and other members where we talk about our ADHD brains and symptoms and hormones and nutrition and plenty of other life topics we obsessively ponder as neurodivergent women. So again, head over to womenandadhd.com to join us. All right. I can't wait to see you there soon. Tell me about your mother. No, I'm, cu- I'm curious. Um, what was your parents' reaction when you were diagnosed? Were they surprised? And also, do you have any siblings?
0: Yeah. So I have a sister. Um, she is a total rock star. She is one of those people that's like good at everything she tries. Um, which is so frustrating, (laughs) but she's just, she's done everything. And now her, her, her love is with, um, farm animals and, and taking care of livestock and, and animal welfare and that sort of thing, which is so cool. Um, she has never seemed to struggle with attention, um, the same way. Um, she also dealt with some depression and some anxiety and, and some of the same journeys that I had, but hers were tied to just genetics. Uh, and not ADHD to, to our, our understanding at this point. Um, we think that my dad probably has ADHD just because the way he processes things and the way he is in conversation it kind of alludes to that. We're still kind of navigating that. Um, but I, I often think back to the fact that um, our parents did not grow up in a time where you even talked about mental health. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It was not only did you not talk about it, it was like, it was rude to think that you had a different journey than somebody else somehow. It, it almost seems like it was something that you were supposed to keep to yourself to make other people comfortable. And I knew my dad had depression growing up, um, but I didn't know what depression was. I just knew that it was the thing that kept him on the couch sometimes and made my family feel a little uncomfortable for a couple of days sometimes. We didn't talk about what that meant until we were a little bit older. And then all of us realized that we basically all had depression and we were just navigating it in different ways. Um, and I've just watched my parents grow and learn and be so open to things that I never expected them to. Um, and when this is all leading to me being diagnosed, um, when I was diagnosed, I don't think they were surprised. My mom knew that I had struggled in school. She knew that she'd put together plans for me uh, with my teachers to get things accomplished in elementary. Uh, And what her words to me were, at the time, they were just sedating kids. They were just medicating them and sedating them. And I didn't want someone dictating to me that I had to sedate you or that I had to make you compliant with class rules just so that you could be in the classroom. I wanted you to be able to grow and learn the way that you wanted to. I wanted to advocate for you to figure it out on your own and to just have tools that weren't medication to help you at the beginning, which I'm actually really grateful for. But it also meant that she didn't seek getting me diagnosed earlier, which means I actually didn't know like what was going on with me for a really long time.
1: Yeah. But it also sounded like you had some really positive structure. So she seemed like she knew what she was doing was it like an aha moment for her when you had the diagnosis? Like, oh, I yeah, think- we were, yeah. like yeah. it's been interesting for me, too, just to realize kind of like what in I've intuitively, Brought into my life in terms of structures that, without even knowing it was ADHD, just like over the yeah. years, being like, "Okay, this is what I need." And yeah, um, so yeah. that's
0: great. Yeah. What are some of your favorite things that that create structure? This is something I love asking adults because I think we all have weird things that we do to to keep us on track. Like, what are some of your favorite things?
1: Well, I don't think I could exist without the reminders app on my phone.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> like. <laughs> It's uh, we also have an Alexa in every single room, except this one, because otherwise she would have just gone off. The Alexa has been <laughs> life changing. And that's the other thing. Like some people are kind of like could take it or leave it. But I feel like um, just that the reminders app, I have reminders for everything um, all day long. It's like, again, like I don't know how I would function without it. Yeah. And that was something I did before I was diagnosed that now I'm like, Oh, right, of course, like, that's how (laughs) I remember everything. Um, But just to have like this virtual AI assistant that you can always all day long be like, put this on my reminders list, put this on here, because like, so just sort of intuitively knowing that I can't retain any information (laughs) (laughs) And that my brain is a sniff having, having those apps, I think was just something that I like intuitively relied on very heavily.
0: I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. That's awesome. Yeah. I'm the same way. I set alarms on my, I actually just do alarms on my phone for everything. Mm-hmm. Really obnoxious ones at all times of day. I have one that reminds me when I'm about to start work in 30 minutes, because my work day starts a little later in the day now. And I will, we'll all do this thing where if we have something scheduled, we have to just sit and wait for it to happen. Like it's so difficult to do anything <laughs> when you're expecting to start something. And mine is the biggest something of my day. Mine is my, my shift. So I would, when I started this job, I would just sit anxiously worrying that I would miss the beginning of my work, especially working from home. So I would just sit and agonize and like not be able I'd freeze so hard. Sometimes I wouldn't even be able to do dishes. I would like just let everything slide because I'd I'd have this whole morning and I would think, well, what if I miss work? And you have dreams about missing work or missing days of work. It's, it's a thing that you just agonize over. So I started setting an alarm for half an hour before I start work. So I always know that no matter how hyper-focused I am into something or where I am, I know that I won't miss work, which probably sounds crazy to some people. Like I was telling my mom about it and she was like, what? <laughs> like It doesn't, it doesn't compute for people who don't struggle with that kind of time management. But yeah, yeah, yeah the alarms are necessary. I'm also very much like a 90s kid, I, I put sticky notes on my mirrors and things like that to like, remind myself of things like take your medication, and, don't forget to drink water. And
1: I did an Instagram story a while ago of like what my desk looks like. Cause I'm like, I have the, you know, there's the drawer, which is basically mm-hmm. deep storage. Once something goes in the drawer, I've, oh, it's, it's, gone. it's gone forever. And so then I have the like super important pile and then I have, but then that becomes too much of a pile. So then I have the pile next to it, which is the seriously, no, this is really super important pile. And then that gets too much. And so then next to that is like, you have to deal with this before you deal with the super important. Pile. <laughs> like oh my God. all of this piles because you know once two or three things end up on the pile then it becomes useless and you never look at it i've talked about this before with guests too this idea that like i'm never late for anything i'm usually very prompt but like you said i can't do anything before that thing you know i'm in like waiting mode um And so I try to do things as early as possible, like dentist appointments. Like if it's not the first dentist appointment of the day, I hate it because I hate waiting in the waiting room Mm -hmm. and be, you know, like all of that. So I want to get things over with as soon as possible. But Mm -hmm. early flights drive me crazy because if I have an early flight, then I won't sleep at uh, at all that night and I and I remember posting about that years ago once like on Twitter or something where I was like it's not the 4 a.m flight that's the problem it's the waking up every 20 minutes all night long worried that my alarm isn't going to go off yes. that's the problem and I was like and there was a part of me that was like haha relatable and then the other part of me that was like that is crippling anxiety right there
0: <laughs> yeah <laughs> yep. not
1: everybody has anxiety to that degree where you I do. I feel you on that. <laughs> well, that's I what I mean. I really, really do. <laughs> the people who relate to that story, I'm like, yeah, there's probably a reason why.
0: Yeah. And that's
1: the another amazing thing I think about a diagnosis of ADHD is like really realizing that you found your people in a way that hits deeply. Um and 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 I think also realizing like how going back to the sense of masking, like how deeply misunderstood we felt for so long. And then to be able to talk about this stuff and is so healing, like to be just to be able to be like, Oh yeah, I do that too. Oh, you do that too. Oh, this is ADHD. Like, so it's fun. And it, and it really is just like feeling like there are people like you in this world is, so important to us and I'm not sure why I think maybe it's the fact that we just felt so like we were in a monkey suit our whole lives you know like I just sort of felt like we in that what a weird analogy but I just meant like you know just always feeling like you weren't fitting properly into any situation and so to suddenly be like oh my god my people are out there and I found them is so wonderful
0: yeah Well, and so, and this is going to sound so cheesy, but I just I have to get into it. When I am when I am interviewing people and when I'm sharing their stories and when I'm doing these news stories, I'm always kind of struck by the weight of carrying someone's own story out into the world in a way that could help them find a larger platform or these people that connect with them, and and it always weighs on me that that is such a, a heavy. Um, it's a gift to be able to offer somebody, but it's, it is a big job and it is so important that it's done with care and that it's done the right way. And I don't think I ever experienced the impact of that until I started posting about my own stories and people were responding that they connected. And I, I think I was pushing so hard to do this for other people because I was, I was kind of striving for it myself, but I didn't know how to do that. So I was just going, you know, so hard to do this for other people and now to feel like I'm finally connecting with people that that resonate with my story and that I can share my story in a constructive way that isn't going to be detrimental to me and it's actually going to be taken seriously is so huge. I mean, even having a podcast like this and a platform that you have is such a gift to so many people to be able to to listen to it and either understand someone they love or understand themselves. Like it is, it is such a huge opportunity to, to help other people and to, to give people what i think we all deserve
1: i'm it still blows my mind um because yeah like like i've said before like i benefit so much from these conversations and i learned so much about myself from these conversations but i never really thought about other people listening in <laughs> to these conversations and also benefiting from that and hearing themselves. And, and yeah, like, it makes perfect sense to me now, because it is such a difficult, it's such a difficult acronym to describe to other people. It's such a really like the female experience is a very difficult one to describe. And so mm-hmm. um, yeah, like, I think these conversations just really help us pinpoint, like, what even is this?
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: So if you could did you relate to the hyperactivity part? Cause I know mean, we talked about the attentive part for sure. Absolutely. But like,
0: yeah, <laughs> there were days, there were days when I was like, is this manic? Is mm-hmm. Am I manic? Yeah. Cause of course there's the days where you sort of black out a little and get everything done on your to-do list. And then you're like, am I okay? <laughs> yeah. What just happened there? But it's, it's such a thrill to be on that end of the spectrum. It's such a thrill to be able to be so productive and, and, it's probably concerning for everyone around you. Well, it has been such a pleasure talking to you and getting to know your story. It's been such a pleasure talking to you. I just think what you're doing is so wonderful. And I'm so honored that you wanted to chat with me about mine, even though I'm a little younger than I think some of the people you've spoken with. And I, um, I'm i just so, I'm so grateful that there are people like you that, that care so much about connecting everyone and, and using those skills that you do have Um, in such a a huge impactful way it's it takes a lot of bravery to put yourself out there like I know that it does I do it every day and it scares the hell out of me to put my face or my name or my voice on something and just the fact that you are being so brave and you're you're using some of the most vulnerable parts of you to make something so important is just so wonderful there you
1: have it Thank you for listening. And I really hope you enjoyed this episode of the Women and ADHD podcast. Also, as you know, we ADHDers crave feedback. And I would really appreciate hearing from you, the listener. Please take a moment to leave me a review over on my website, womenandadhd.com, or on Apple Podcasts, or Audible, or whatever other platform you're using. And if that feels like too much, and I get it, then just take a few seconds to give me a five-star rating. Boom, done. Or share this episode on your own social media to help reach more women who maybe have yet to discover and lean into this neurodivergent superpower, and they may be struggling and they don't even know why. Make sure to tag me on Instagram or Twitter. I'm at women and ADHD. If you are a woman who was diagnosed with ADHD in adulthood and you'd like to be interviewed as a guest on this podcast, please reach out to me. My email is womenandadhdpodcast at gmail.com. If you'd like to know more about me, head over to worthitwithkatie.com. That's where I help other women with ADHD break free from the yo-yo dieting and binge eating cycle for good. I'll see you next week when I interview another amazing woman who has recently discovered that she is not lazy or crazy, but she has ADHD. And now she's on the path to understanding that neurodivergence and finally using it to her advantage. Take care till then.